Okay, thank you, everybody. Um, May 5th, I talked about, was my first sermon, and I, I have my sermon notes all over my desk. It looks like a mess, but that's kind of how I work, and then I, I had the physical notes still. And the sermon title was named One Mind. One Mind. And I knew even coming into that like uh, 10 months ago that being clear about what we believed in will unify us. There may be different things. At the time, we had transitioned to a new pastor. Right now, we have coronavirus and other things going on, right? So what will help us to be unified? Trials are going to be there till the, day, till the day the Lord comes back for us. But unity of mind, what do we believe in? In Acts 2, I'm just going to read it for us a little bit. Acts 2, 46. This is just a precursor. This is part of the intro, so... I'm not going to be necessarily preaching out of Acts 2, but Acts 2, 46 and 47, this is what distinguished the people. This is what, if you're a non-believer watching the church in Jerusalem at the time, this is what you would notice, all right? Day by day, uh, Acts 2, 46, day by day, every day that means, continuing with one mind, children, right? One mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Bible says that they were of one mind, the church, the early church. They're breaking bread. They're fellowshipping with one another. They're taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Okay? Sincerity. This this is a very sincere faith. So the topic of today's sermon, they're unified. And the topic of our sermon today is unity or oneness. All right. Does this describe Evergreen SGV? Right. Let's throw that out. As, you, as you're hearing this, the word preached to you, evaluate this. Is this describe me? Does it describe the body of Christ that I'm a part of here? Evergreen SGV. All right. So are we a unified church? So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 in the New Testament. Ephesians written by Paul. All right. Right after Galatians, if you went to Philippians, you went too far. It's in between Galatians and Philippians. And as you're turning there, we're going to be in Ephesians 4. I'm going to give you a little context. The first three chapters is huge. You can't just go to jump to fourth chapter without understanding the first three chapters. All right? The first three chapters basically establishes who we are in Christ. Critical, because otherwise it just becomes legalism, or otherwise it becomes just like, i got to tough this out, or religiosity. Without understanding chapters 1, 2, th- one, two and 3, or having an idea what that means, and having the Lord fill our identity in Christ, it'll just be legalism once we go to uh, verse 4. That's not what we're about. So I'm just going to give you a big 10,000 feet flyover of one, uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 so we can understand chapter 4 better. All right, this is about our identity in Christ. And, and it, it, Paul uses words such as in Christ, in him, in the beloved, in Christ Jesus, right? And about 20 plus times throughout the first three chapters. And basically, Paul chronicles all the benefits that God gives us for being Christians because of what Christ has done and who he is. These are the benefits. I'm just going to read through these things. You don't need to write them down. You could just kind of just, just, I'd rather have you just feel what I'm going to talk to you about. 
All right. Chapter one, verse three says that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Chapter one, verse four of Ephesians says this. He chose us in him to be holy and blameless. God sees us as holy and blameless because of him, Jesus. Verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. We're adopted. We're part of God's family, sons and daughters. Verse 7, in him, talking about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Forgiveness of our trespasses. We've been forgiven. We've been declared innocent. These are all the benefits. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will in him. We know God's plan because of Jesus. We are in on this, this cosmic mystery because of Jesus. All right, verse 11. We have obtained an inheritance. Jesus has given us an inheritance, a divine inheritance. Verse 12. We have hope in Christ. I mean, these are all the benefits. These are all the benefits of simply trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Verse 13. In him, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, you are sealed in him by the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God living in you and me, Christian. Benefits, benefits. Let me go to verse, uh, second chapter, verse 5. There's others. I just wanted to just highlight some of these high points. It says, we were made alive together with Christ. We were once dead. If you're not a Christian, you're spiritual dead. God sees you as dead. A greater miracle than raising Lazarus from the dead has happened to you and me who are in Christ. We're spiritually alive now in Christ. All right, let's jump down to verse 10. Look, at this is a beautiful one. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. The workmanship is, the original language is poema, work of art. One of a kind, work of art in Christ. All right? How about last one? Let's go to chapter 3, verse 12. All right? In whom, look at this is beautiful now, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. We could approach God with boldness and confidence because of Christ. We have access to God at all times because of Christ. All right. Now we're going to go to Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. You're going to see it therefore. There's a transition. The gear, Paul just flowering the Ephesians. This is what we had. This is who you are in Christ. This is evergreen. This is what you've been given in Christ. And then there's a change of gear here. All right? So let's rise for the reading of the scriptures. Just six verses. We'll, we'll read and then we'll cover a little bit more at the end. But Ephesians chapter 4. Keep all that in mind. All the heavenly blessings made alive, holy and blameless, inheritance, adopted as sons. Therefore, the Bible says now, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body, children, and one spirit, just as also you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Help us to understand what it means to be part of your body. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat, please. All right, we're talking about unity and oneness. This is, this is absolutely critical for us to grow as a church family. And, and as I was talking to my relatives, you know, over lunch yesterday, and they're just amazed. You know, they're not Christian, I don't think. And although we talked about Christ and the gospel, but they're, they're just wondering, like, you know, why would, why would, this, why would you do this? We, we used to follow you and all this in your career. We're so proud of you. And they weren't, like, questioning, but they just wanted to know. And I can't think of anything else to do better than to help the local church, particularly at Evergreen SGV, grow in unity to grow as a body of Christ. What could be more exciting? What could be more exciting? So, in order to be unified, we need, first point, to walk humbly, the Bible says. We need to be humble people. Are we humble people? Okay, as, you, as we go through the text, I want you to understand this a little bit deeply. It, have the Lord be open to investigating who, how we are, the condition of our heart. I'm going to read here. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, therefore, in response to chapters 1, 2, and 3, who we are in Christ, we're saints in Christ, our identities in Christ, we're forgiven, we've been redeemed, we're sons and daughters of Christ, every spiritual blessing in Christ, we have bold, confident access to, to God in Christ. Therefore, Paul writes, the prisoner of the Lord. Paul was uh, the apostle Paul, one of my heroes, lowercase hero, Jesus is our big uh, capital H here, but Paul is a role model that I look up to. Paul was in prison in Caesarea. Pa- Paul was in prison in Rome through the Roman government. But he doesn't go, I, prisoner of Paul of Rome or, or Caesar, but I, the prisoner of the Lord. He always considered himself a prisoner for Christ. Christ is his master. And what does he say? I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. What does this word implore mean? It means means exhort. I urge you. There's intensity. There's seriousness. There's directness. Please take what I'm saying seriously, Paul's saying. So Christians in here, you got to listen up. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. God is speaking to us through Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He's imploring us, urging us like any good coach. I was at the youth retreat. I was grateful for Pastor Paul inviting me to speak to the high schoolers and the, and the junior high schoolers. I made this illustration. So hopefully the youth, high school, and junior high, you remember this. But I remember what I, as I studied for this text, what came to my mind was one of my friends who I coached with, all right? Coach Ogeron. I don't know if you guys, some of you guys know him. I know we got some smiles up here. You guys know who he is. Coach Ogeron was one of the greatest coaches I've ever around. They just won the national championship this year for Louisiana State. But Coach Ogeron was our recruiting coordinator. Coach Ogeron is a phenomenal recruiter. He's able to connect with people. And, man, he, 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 we used to have this term such as in coaching, he could sell ice to Eskimos. You know what I mean? He could, it just, he could, he could, he could tell you that this is the greatest place, and, man, you believe him. And part of the things is, is we recruited for the University of Southern California, 
Just in case you didn't know, that's where I coached. He, he would just say, hey, at the University of Southern California, you'll get a top-notch education. At the University of Southern California, you make great connections to the Trojan family. At the University of Southern California, you get to play for the greatest program in America. At the University of Southern California, you'll be coached by NFL coaches. At the University of Southern California, you'll have an opportunity to be an All-American, play for Rose Bowls and national championships. And you, not only that, you have an opportunity to play in the NFL probably. Who wouldn't want to do that if you're a player, right? Sounds pretty good to me. You know, if you're not a player, you go, sign me up, right? So this is kind of like the feeling that I get as I'm hearing in, in Ephesians 1, 2, 3. This is what you have in Christ. This is what you've been blessed. This is what it is. This is what you have. Now we're back in that coaching meeting or that players meeting. What we had our first day, all that players signed. Oftentimes, we're a sport coat or like kind of a polo, maybe even a tie. Maybe in a tie, show up, greet their moms and at their homes. This time, Coach Ogeron was not in his slacks. This is day one of meetings. This time, Coach Ogeron wasn't wearing his loafers. He's wearing his Nikes. This time, Coach Ogeron was wearing his shorts and his coaching shirt. Maybe, I don't know if he had a whistle, but he doesn't need when his voice is loud enough. And the players, the highest recruited players, household names, some of you guys will recognize them, were just sitting there, right? Some of them were sitting in the back, just kind of hanging out, wearing different T-shirts from their high schools, wearing their hats, or wearing kind of backwards or sideways and kind of just acting cool, like, man, yeah, I belong here, you know? Like, they really wanted me here. Something happened now where Coach O gets up and goes, you know what? Recruiting is over. Sit up. In the first three rows, take your hats off, act like men. We're here to do work now. Recruiting's over. No more whining, no more dying, no more fancy food. It's time to go to work now. All right, and then Coach O is understood how the recruiting process could affect a young man. I mean, you think about it, you're 16, 17, 18 years old. You're hearing that you're the greatest thing in the world. You know, middle-aged men are writing about you on the Internet. It's crazy. It's crazy, right? How, how, how could that not affect you? So Coach O gets uh, get up here, and by the way, you no longer represent yourself. You no longer, you no longer represent your name only. You're part of the University of Southern California, the greatest football program in the history of this planet. You represent every player, every coach that's come before you. You represent us who's here currently, and you're going to represent everyone who's coming in after you. The program will go on with or without you in the future. But this is your time to be part of this, so you need to act like a Trojan. He may say other things, but that's basically what's appropriate for our church. And so that's, where, that's what would happen. And you get fired. Even as a coach, you're like, all right. It got, got me ready to go as a younger coach. And in essence, that's what I see Paul doing right here. Therefore, he says, I implore you to walk in a, in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy. Coach Joe was talking about the Trojan standard. All right, and for football, Paul's talking about standard for Christ as he's a prisoner of the Lord. Are we walking in a manner worthy of Christ? Church family. He was talking to the Ephesians. He was exhorting them like a good coach would. Now he's speaking to us through the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit to Evergreen SGE in 2020. 
in La Puente. And you may be thinking, yeah. You may be thinking, not really. You may be thinking, I need to get better. So it's like, well, how do you do it? Any good coach doesn't just exhort you and just leave you, all right, I'll see you at the game. That, that, that doesn't work very well. Now that you capture the attention of the people, they go, all right, coach, I'm sitting up now. I took off my hat. I'm not looking at my uh, social media. So I'm, like, I'm locked in now. You're like, basically, you're all ears. And this is what Paul says. Verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. This is what it looks like when you are walking with the Lord in a worthy manner. When your life reflects that of a Christian, you're humble, you're gentle, you're patient, you show tolerance for one another in love. Now, why does Paul start off with humility? This is foundational now. This is important. You guys hear this out very clearly. He starts off with humility because this is the foundational Christian virtue where everything's built upon humility. If you're not humble, it all falls apart. God says, I hate the proud heart. I mean, that's one thing that God says I hate. I hate the proud heart. So humility is the antithesis of pride. If we're not humble, he, we're not going to have those Christian virtues built upon us. And, and, and think about it like this. When I was probably a little bit few years before those times when Coach O gave the recruiting over, his, uh, recruiting his over speech, our, our coach wished to take us to uh, the U.S. Bank Tower in downtown L.A. That's not the tallest one. It's not, it's not the one by the Staples, but for the longest time, it's kind of a circular top downtown. He, they took us all the way up there, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And they said, do you want to go to the roof? I mean, there's a door. I, it's one of those things. You can see the stairs, and you see light coming out of the door. I'm like, uh-uh, I'm, I'm good right here. Some of the other guys went up there and looked at it. Oh, this is cool. And, and that, for a long time, that was like the tallest building in L.A., you know, until they started building up L.A. And it's 1,000 feet approximately, a little bit more than 1,000 feet in the air. So I did a little bit of research, you know, and I, I tried to find what is the tallest building. You know, we have Empire State Building, Sears Tower, those famous buildings in America. But there's Shanghai, there's a, a tower. There's a tower a building called the Shanghai Tower. This building is 2,000 feet tall. 2,000 feet tall. What in the world, right? So I'm thinking, what does it take to have something that tall, that massive, that heavy at its foundation? So it, it, just for your knowledge, it takes 282 feet of concrete down into the earth to establish a foundation strong enough to support something like that. 282 feet. And they live in an earthquake zone from what I understand. So things need to be very secure. So now back to the text. The Christian foundation is humility. Humility. And what happens is that gentleness is built upon humility. Gentleness is pretty close to humility. The original language talks about how you're not impressed with yourself. Therefore, you're able to be gentle with others. The next virtue that Paul talks about is patience. You're, you have endurance. You're, you're patient towards other people because you know it's not all about yourself. Humility. The, fifth, the fourth uh, foundational piece that comes upon it is tolerance. You bear with one another. You know, you know it's not all about you, so you could bear with your brother or sister who's having a hard time. Maybe even sinned against you. And the fifth and final pinnacle of it all is love, in love. 
Love is at the pinnacle of what it looks like to be a Christian. You love Christ, you love the church. That's how it works. Jesus, uh, th- John 13, 35, Jesus says in John 13, 35, by your love for, for one another, all men will know you are my disciples. How we love one another was screamed to the world, just like in Acts chapter 2, how we're Christians. And let me just add this. Without humility, it is impossible to love as the Bible calls us to love. Impossible. Impossible. Foundational. So let's kind of dig into, I'm going to dig into uh, humility right now. And this, meanwhile, I'm trying to educate you biblically what it means to be humble. All right? And I want you to constantly evaluate yourself. Is this me? Is this me? So turn to your right, Philippians, the next book over, Philippians chapter 2, 3 and 4. Bible says this about humility. You always want to look to the scriptures for answers. All right? You don't want to necessarily look at the world's definition of things. It'll mess things up. So you want to look to the scriptures. The Bible is a sufficient word of God that helps us to live the Christian life. Verse 3, Paul writes, same author. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. What's selfishness? You meet you're self-seeking. You have self-ambition. You're, you have, you're about your self-interest. You're very calculating. Do you know anyone like that? Do you know people that are just so calculating every move, or even to eat, even to do simple things? It's just because it's going to suit them the best. Calculating. Or empty conceit. This is just unmerited pride. You just have an overly inflated view of yourself. That's what Paul's saying. Empty conceit. Vanity. You're delusional. You think way too highly of yourself, Paul is saying. All right, don't do this, he's saying. All right, moving on. But with humility of mind, okay, there's that word humility of mind. All right, now he goes into describing what humility is. So those are like the enemies of humility, selfishness and empty conceit, vanity and self-centeredness, all right? With humility of mind, this is what humble people look like. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Do you regard others? Do you elevate others above yourself? Verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Are you thinking about others? Are you thinking about how can I spiritually bless others? This is what humility looks like. Youth. Maybe this helps. Maybe if I put it this way, you know, if I ask this question, what is humility? I'm going to, so the youth, listen up here. I got something for you too. It might help the parents too. What is humility, all right? Not thinking less of yourself. Not thinking, it's not, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Like, I'm a loser. I'm not worth much. I'm some doormat. That's not humility. That's actually pride. Okay, because think about it. Everyone is made in the image of God, Christians or non-Christians. Incredibly valuable, incredibly precious. Every Christian has been bought with Christ's blood. His blood was spilled for you and me. Very valuable, very precious if you're a Christian. Bible says, I read it for you guys earlier, we're a work of art. Christians are a work of art. One kind work, poema. One of a kind work of art. So it's not thinking less of yourself. But this is what humility is. Thinking of ourselves less. Let me say that again. Humility is thinking of ourselves less. 
You left self-centered. You're thinking less about you. It's not about me. It's about others. You regard others as more important. You prioritize others. That's what humility looks like. Is this how you treat your friends here? Is this how we welcome others that may look a little bit more uh, lost or uncomfortable or even socially awkward? You go, hey, you know what? This kind of kind of this could uh, kind of put a uh, mess up my role here a little bit. But here, come on in, join us. Are you willing to do that for one another? Right? We're t- we, we've talked about that before. Do you look to serve others? Are you so interested in their spiritual well-being that you'll do whatever it takes, even risk friendships, adults? to confront one another about sin because you want to soul care for them. When I say I'm in charge of overseeing souls, I don't know every single one here yet. I like to, but it's going to take some time. I don't know everyone's sin issues and temptations and struggles, but you guys hopefully do. This is part of my soul care is directing the sheep how to care for one another. You love your brother or sister so much Let's get a coffee. Let's talk privately. Matthew 18, 15, you church discipline one another. You say, you know what? This is what I see in your life. You need to repent. There's good news in the gospel. You're a Christian, right? You don't need to be ashamed of this. That may cost you your friendship. That absolutely may cost you your friendship. But you know what? You love them. You put them above your needs so much that you're willing to risk all that. Brothers and sisters, if church discipline isn't happening... There's going to be no unity in this church. Relationships will be fragmented. Family members, groups will just kind of tolerate one another. Maybe that's part of the reason why we don't don't like having one service. You have to actually see each other. Perhaps. Perhaps. And I'm kind of serious too about that. And I have the privilege of coming under people's lives here. It's wonderful. It's a privilege. But I just want to be honest because I don't talk to everyone here. It's not good enough to just coexist with one another. That's not really loving one another. That's not being humble. It's like, I love you so much. We're going to talk about this. We're going to reconcile this. We're going to come unified in the power of the gospel. We're going to reconcile this. We're going to forgive one another. Is that prescribe your experience here at Evergreen so far? That's, that's not how it's meant to be. That doesn't sound like Acts chapter 2 to me. That doesn't sound like Revelation. It doesn't sound like how, what we were singing today earlier. It doesn't sound like that to me. Humility, foundational peace. Here's another thing, just observations as a pastor. We are a highly successful church family for the most part, economically, socially, education-wise, professionally, phenomenal. Me included. I mean, I get it. I, I've enjoyed these things. I love it. I'm grateful for that. But let me just show you from my own personal struggles and experience, uh, worldly success is a blessing. Absolutely. You could, have, you could do things with it. You could take care of your family with it. You could help others come to know the Lord through it. You use your platform, your finances, your education to help people. Wonderful. But it also, also could be a curse because it could pour pride into you. You could start feeling it's all about you. You could start feeling a little extra special than the brother or sister sitting next to you. It could become a comparison thing between you and another brother and sister. Blessing and a curse, having family, having children, having, uh, having being part of a decent marriage could be a source of pride. It's a blessing, but it's a curse. 
Coaching-wise, winning the Super Bowl, winning Rose Bowl is phenomenal. But the hard work comes after. Like, let's go. That's over. That's gone. We got to go. We got to get back to it. Is there some of that in us? For me, it's a constant struggle, constant life of repentance, constant confessing my sins to other people. Man, I'm sorry I got arrogant right there. Do we do this for one another? Got to be humble. If you want unity, we have to walk humbly with one another. Without humility, there is no loving one another. Jesus says love one another, but you know what? Paul breaks it down even, how do we even get there? Humility. Thinking of others. Thinking of yourself less. Second point here. Paul goes to maintain unity. You've got to fight for unity. It just doesn't come. It just doesn't happen overnight because you show up at, at the church. It just doesn't happen. I've been here for 10 months now. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't magically happen. You have to fight for this. You have to prioritize this. Let's read here. Verse uh, 3. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Diligent. This is one of my, uh, my I don't, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read this for you. First uh, Timothy 2.15 says, uh, am I in the right spot here? Sorry. I like it so much I forgot where it is. Second Timothy 2.15 says, be, Second Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of God, uh, word of truth. This is talking about what a pastor is supposed to be, someone who diligently works. Another translation will say, do your best to maintain a unity or preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do your best. You're highly motivated. This is what I got to do. I got to maintain unity. You're intense. It's intense. Ever any decent athlete knows that how hard it is to get into shape. You get, you're highly motivated and you are straining. Muscles are aching. Veins are bulging out of your body. Sweating is hot. You, you feel like you're about to pass out. Your heart is about to jump out your chest. Have you ever been there before? I've been there physically. But do we strain this hard in the spiritual sense? We want to maintain unity so much. I don't want to just coexist with folks here at Evergreen. I want you to be unified. I want to look into my brother or sister eyes and say, I love you. This is what Evergreen is called to become. We're not there yet. This is a body life message. I'm giving you my assessment after 10 months. We're not there yet. Not even close yet, but we're getting there. God's moving us there. He is. He is. And how, does it, how do we get there? You got my attention, Pastor. Now, how do we actually get there where I say this is the greatest place I was a part of? This is the greatest institution I get to be part of, the church, but specifically locally here at Evergreen SGV. The body of Christ at Evergreen SGV. Well, let's turn to verse 4 and 6, okay? Because it's in our nature to be unified. We have the same DNA. That's why we're unified. We forget who we are so often, too easily. Verse 4 says this, there is one body. One body. That's what Jesus has. There's one head. That's Christ, the head of the church. And he has one body. He doesn't have a, a million body parts. He has one body. One body with a lot of body parts, I should say. If this conference had 3,500 pastors, 
from around the world. And all of us are unified because we love Christ, we love his word, we love preaching his word, we're about the same thing. It felt very unifying. It felt like, wow, this is it. I feel like I belong. So, but there, with all those 3,500 pastors, there's only one church. Jesus has one body. There's one body. At Evergreen, there's one body. There's one click. It's Jesus' click. That's it. One part. One body with different members, different parts, I guess. Next thing. It's part of our DNA. We have one spirit, it says. The Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit. God's Spirit. The Spirit of Christ living in brothers and sisters. That's why we're unified. Same spirit living in us. Third thing, just as you were also called in one hope, the hope that we will be with a Trinitarian God and worship him and enjoy him for eternity. No more sin, no more struggles, no more temptation issues, no more relational hurts. We're just perfectly in this Trinitarian love relationship in heaven forever. Fourth thing, one Lord, DNA, one Lord. Jesus Christ, the head of the church, is our Lord. We have one faith. That means we have common convictions. At the Shepherds Conference, we talked about doctrinal clarity. Do we know what we believe in, Pastor, they asked. Do you know what you believe in? We're like-minded. We think the same. When we look at each other, we know what we believe in. It's not good enough that we just believe in like the core Orthodox Christianity. We need to know what makes us distinct here at Evergreen SGV. We need to define this. So as you're thinking about this, in Acts 2, they're of one mind. And, and uh, how is this going to unroll uh, out at Evergreen? At the sermons, take, he who has yours, let him hear. Hear what is being preached, what's being emphasized. At the pastoral level, I'm working on a doctrinal statement to hand out to the pastors. So this is who we are at Evergreen SGV. So be very distinct. Like, listen. But at the same time, don't just trust me. Be in the Word yourself. Take David Kim's hermeneutics class so you know how to study the Word and be like a noble Berean. Studying it. So go, amen, pastor. I see why you get this. Amen, brother. Thank you. Keep preaching the Word. Or brother, I don't get this. Let's talk about this. Right? Moving on here. Number six. One baptism. That means we're committed to the same triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, just like we sung earlier. Verse, and then seventh one, verse six. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is what we're talking about here. This is what it's talking about. And just as, as I finish up here, I am absolutely fired up for this opportunity. You may be thinking, wow, this is, a, this is a lot going on here. I love it. I see why I'm here. I'm grateful. I'm, thank you, Lord. I'm so grateful to be here. I don't have what, everything that it takes. We have the pastors. We have the lay. We all need to step up and do it. God is providing for us people from the outside to help us out as well. Outside this local church, I, see, I mean. Part of the body still. This is a gold mine, brothers and sisters. This is a phenomenal place. This is exactly where you want to be at this time in church history, here in Southern California, in the San Gabriel Valley, in La Puente, how he's positioned this church family to respond to the call of preaching Christ throughout the nations. This is exactly where you want to be. This is exactly where I want to be. And one thing that's going to help, let's just jump down to verse 13 and finish off here, okay, of Ephesians chapter 4. Well, let me, let's go 11 to 13. I'll just read this for us. 
And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets. They don't exist anymore. These guys are like the disciples. And some as evangelists. This is the office of an evangelist. Some as pastor teacher, office of pastor teacher. That's the one I have. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. That's equipping you guys to serve in the church. What are you supposed to do? To build up the to building up of the body of Christ. Okay, how do we build up the body of Christ? Pastor, don't ask me. Let's look to the scriptures. Verse 13. I love hearing those pages turn, by the way. <laughs> Crackling. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. What does that mean? That means we all believe in the same doctrinal truths in the Bible. Unity of the faith. This isn't just a simple, like, we all believe in the gospel. This is what does the scriptures teach about who Christ is. And it says, is it to, and it says, of the knowledge of the Son of God. Do we have the mind of Christ? You, you want to think like Christ? You learn the scriptures. If you, don't, if you want to think like the world, you stay out of the scriptures. You want to think like Christ, you have to dig in to the word of God, the scriptures. So how are we going to maintain, get this unity? We believe. We study the scriptures. We believe the same thing. We think the same thing. We look at each other and say, brother, sister, I'm going to hold you accountable. Help hold me accountable. Keep me from sinning. Help keep me from sinning. This is the work of the pastor teacher to feed the sheep, feed you, feed you the scriptures, feed you the scriptures. Maybe this is revolutionary for some of us right now. Like, whoa, I never heard this before. Or perhaps we're hearing of different ears. He who has ears, let him hear. Maybe you're hearing differently right now. And I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied where we're at. I'm very confident through the preaching of the word by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ said, I will build my church at Evergreen SUV. It's an exciting time. And then what happens when we're unified? Finishing out verse 13. To a mature man. What does a mature man look like? To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We start looking like Christ. We start looking like the head. We start thinking like the head. We start talking like the head. We start acting like the head. We start liking the things that the head likes more and more. And you know what he loves? He loves his body. So we start loving one another really well. Isn't that clear? Isn't that so clear from the teaching of the scriptures? Isn't the Bible so good? We got to get into the scriptures, brothers and sisters. Adult education is available at 9 o'clock. Get there. Get there. If you take this seriously, get there. Get there. We have teachers. We have trying to help feed. It's so clear. This is not my, this is not Rocky Seto. This is not coaching. This is not something I pulled out of Barnes and Noble, how to lead your church. This is scripture here, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is Christ, the head of the church, telling us, meeting his rule through the scriptures. If you want to come under the lordship of Christ, you, cut, you submit yourself to the authority of the scriptures. That's how you do it. Okay? I'm here for you. I'm going to do whatever I can, but every ounce of energy I got, I'm losing my hair daily. I'm a, by the time next year, I'm going to be bald. <laughs> I'm telling you. But there's nothing worth it more than this. I love it. I love it. 
And you got brothers, sisters who are going to be raised up to do the same. And I want everyone, God is calling every one of us to contribute to the growth of the church. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to preach to your church family here at Evergreen SGV. May we grow into the fullness of your son, Jesus Christ, the head of the church. I pray, Lord, that we will have a great love for your word. We will have a great hunger for your word. Supernaturally give us this hunger so that we will know you better, Lord. Not necessarily to do things so that we will know you. We will know our identities in your son, Jesus Christ. In some ways, I'd rather us focus in on Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 more so that we know who we are in Christ, in him, in the beloved, in Christ Jesus, in the son. Thank you, Father. What a glorious thing you let me do. I, I just don't get it. I know sometimes my wife and kids don't get it. I don't get it either, but thank you that you let me do this. What a privilege. What a unique privilege, but what a daunting task too at the same time. I'm helpless. I'm humbled. I know I'm not adequate. I know I, 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 for my own self, my own mind, I, I, have, uh, I get frustrated at times. I don't love like I'm called to love. But Lord, I thank you through these trials you're keeping my eyes on you, Lord. I'm glad it's hard because you get more glory and it humbles and sanctifies me. And I pray the hard things in life that's happened in this church family for everyone here, maybe even sinning against each other, you use to sanctify them, to love you more, to become more like you. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.